Hello and welcome to Plotris. This is Meg. This is Lane. And today we're reviewing Falling for You by Jen Tran. This book was published in 2020. It's our new release for the month of June. It came out last week and it is number two in the Burl Friends series. And in the, uh, what's the word? In, the in, in interest? In interest of full disclosure, we did receive this book as an advanced reader copy from the author. Yeah. So it's a contemporary novel, which is a little bit outside of our usual interests, but it is a romance. So it was great. Yeah. Uh, so let's just dive right into it with the summary. A year and a half after her husband's death, Lena Miller is untethered and out of her element, the worst case scenario for a rock climbing chemist. But the pressure is on from her PhD advisor, and she's quickly approaching the critical point when she must decide what's next. Her one rule, career first, love second. But rules have never stopped Asher Friedman. As a New York City musician, the last thing that Asher needs is a heart that's out of tune. Unfortunately, that's all he's got, plus a trust fund. But what he wants is a new muse, and he's willing to go to great lengths and heights to find her. When the two meet at a party, Lena gives him a chance as a climbing buddy. But soon, Lena finds herself dealing with a different kind of chemistry, one that could end up hurting them both. Will their bond be enough to overcome their past traumas? Or will they have to face the music? Overall good jacket. Overall good jacket. There's like a ton of puns, which gives you a great idea of what you're getting in the book as well. And some factual inaccuracies, but the spirit is right. So I'm willing Mm. to forgive them. Exactly. Yeah. But but yeah, this is basically the book. These are young adults meeting and dating in New York City. Okay, they're not that young. And that's like my big qualm and where I'm sure we'll get into in this review. But he's already 30 and she's almost 30. Uh Uh-huh. And as a 30-year-old woman trying to date in a big city, like both of these people are not mature enough in my mind. Okay. (laughs) It's, yeah, I don't know. I guess I didn't. I feel like I, I, well, we had, we both have had very different experiences, right? Like I, yeah, I got, I got married very young and I also met my husband when we were even younger, which makes sense. (laughs) So for me, right? Right. I know. So So I guess for me, I'm like, Rikos, this is what dating is like nowadays. No. (laughs) Oh, Meg. I know. I know what happened. But, like, for the record, I hope the podcast has come to understand I am a 30-year-old woman who is single and dating D.C. And I, like, live in my own apartment. Yeah. And it is acceptable enough for me to have Meg over to record and use the bathroom without feeling the need to comment on any sort of state of disarray. That's true. And so and so is Lena in this book. Her apartment is nice, too. So. Yeah, but she also doesn't have a career or ambition or any, like, knowledge of where she wants to go. Yeah, that was perhaps one of my biggest issues as well, actually, which 
we can get I, I didn't have an issue with it. I actually thought it made them in some ways very well suited. But it was frustrating as, like, a 30-year-old who has her shit together who's trying to date. Like, Asher is my nightmare. <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, I think he is supposed to be in some senses. He is supposed to and be a nightmare. Some- but I get why he's not Lena's. Lena's like she's disgusted by him, but mm-hmm. she's not completely a no on him. Mhm, mhm, yeah. Whereas if I met a guy who was like, I don't know what I want to do. I'm not even sure what I want to do with my music. I'm just hanging out in this apartment my dad bought for me, and yeah, it's a hovel, and I could fix it, but I don't want to. That person would not be getting my phone number. But if you if you gave him your if you gave him your number before you knew about the apartment. So like and then he, he said his... no oral, I'd be out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is this is not a person that would get a third chance. <laughs> so the 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 apartment is like chance number one that's like scratched off, and then the no oral is like second like second strike, and he doesn't get a third strike. Is what you're saying? Exactly. Okay. That's told fair. me once, shame on me. You told me twice, shame on me. <laughs> right. That's true. Just saying. So anyway, I didn't, I liked this book a lot. I thought it was really well written. And I do think the two main characters are well suited. Mm -hmm. But as a 30 year old dating in a major city, I found them both immature and very triggering. Yeah, I guess I didn't put two and two together and realize they were 30 years old. Okay, that didn't take math, Meg. It was stated in the text several times. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I was like, I guess 30 is the new 21. (laughs) Nope. Would you have guessed these two characters were my age? Uh, no, probably not. There you go. That's that's my criticism. Not of the novel, because I do think there's a lot of my peers who act like this. Mm-hmm. But that's my criticism of men that are available for me to date. <laughs> so, so that's what was really toughest about this book, is you're like, I have to date Ashers. And I don't want to. It's fair. It's fair. On dates with Ashers. Yeah. Well, let's do our summaries before we get into any more of the book. Fine. (laughs) I know. I know. So uh, this this episode we generated the random number of nineteen. So I'll go ahead and start. Uh, Lena and Asher enjoy a sweet romance until a secret Lena doesn't know she's keeping gets in the way. And mine. Woman wrecked by grief tries getting back in the saddle, professionally and personally. But climbing is a small world. Yeah. Did you like my cowgirl pun? I thought it was really good. Thank you. I liked it a lot. I should have tried harder to do puns in my in my summary, I have to admit. I mean, sometimes you're just, like, we've both not been inspired. It's true. It's you true. can't always do a rendition of Come to My Window, you know? It's, well, I mean, I never have. That's, that was all you. <laughs> okay. Um, so I think the, the big trope in this book is that there there is a secret or unknown connection between the two of them, right? And I, here's my problem with it. I actually thought that Jen Trin was talented enough not to rely on this. Yeah. I thought these characters had enough conflict without the secret connection. Yeah, I agree. Um, the heroine is a widow. 
and the hero has a really complicated family. And I didn't think there needed to be connection between those two things for this plot mm-hmm. to work. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Um, and I mean, added to that, I, I saw it coming. So this is definitely one that I, I wasn't surprised when the twist was revealed. No, me neither. So uh, uh, it reminded me of um, Let's Get Textual, actually, where yes. there, right, there was a secret connection. And it actually wasn't the connection that I was expecting. And so I, I think I would have liked it more if the connection had been unexpected. And in this one, I was like, oh, OK, that was. It wasn't. Well, I mean, or if it hadn't existed at all, like also the trauma of being a widow at such a young age from a freak accident, combined with someone who used to participate in that same sport with family drama, was enough on its own. Yeah, for sure, for sure. It didn't. Ha- they didn't have to have the connection. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So. This is a trope I've seen way too often, especially in the London Ton or New York City or Paris, like major centers of activity mm-hmm. where one party accidentally stumbles upon the other on a date or flirting with someone else or dancing with someone else when they don't think they're being observed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Although I will say I thought it was well executed here. I don't think identifying a trope is a criticism. Okay. So want to make sure, but I thought yeah. it was, I thought it was well done and I thought it made sense. If you're going to use this trope, you have to do it well. And I think it was done well here. Absolutely. But it's a trope. It is a trope. Uh, so we did get a little bit of love. Love means having to grow up, right? You can tell it's love because you're going to, the other person hasn't asked you to change for them because we all know that, that's a no-no, but you love them so much that you are going to change yourself for them. Right. Like you're not embarrassed to live in a pigsty, but you're embarrassed to invite someone you like over to said pigsty. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, if, in my opinion, so this is me and my husband and I have, <laughs> if he ever hears this, he's going to kill me. <laughs> so in our relationship, I am the messy person and the messy one. And he absolutely hates it when I invite my friends over and I haven't like tidied up or cleaned. And he's like, I can't believe you don't do this. This is horrible. And I'm like, if they love me, they will love my mess. Okay. Here's the thing. As the friend who's been over to your house and it's messy, there is a difference between the dishes from last night's dinner aren't done and the girlfriend who moved out 18 months ago's hair is still in the drain. This, that is true. That is, there is a difference. You haven't ever taken a shower in my, in my tub, so you don't know. <laughs> is there almost two-year-old hair in it? Probably not. Probably not that Yeah, much. because at a certain point, you stop being able to effectively shower, and it's less than 18 months then. I mean, his place is definitely way grosser than my place. Oh, yeah, I was about to say, you're, like, your place is not gross. Yeah, I, what all I'm saying is that I, when I fell in love, I did not feel the need to suddenly become cleaner. That's all I'm saying. My cleanliness habits have not changed. Yeah, you don't have any, like, stairs in your home that could actually kill someone. So, like, literal missing stairs? 
Yeah. No, I mean, are, I'm thinking of like the the internet missing stare. You know what I'm talking about? No. Oh, so the missing stare. It's this whole, it's this thing on in like geek. So there's a, we'll get into this too. Cause I keep trying, I kept thinking of like geek, geek culture a little bit when I read this um, book. But in geek culture, there's something called the missing stare, which is um, it's used to refer to a person in your circle who everyone knows is kind of a jerk or maybe kind of a harasser, but everyone just knows about it. And instead of fixing the stare, they just warn you about him. They're like, oh, don't hang out with that guy. He's a jerk. Instead of like no longer inviting him to your parties, you just tell him, you just tell all the new people who come into your circle to avoid him. And he's called, that's called the missing stare. Huh. I mean, like, I've experienced that phenomenon, but I hadn't known that's what it was called. Yeah, yeah. So they, at least some of the the blogs that I read, they call it the missing stare. And it okay. kind of makes sense, actually, you know, because it's the thing. He's like, I'm used to it. I'll just step over it. And it's not until someone new comes in that you're like, oh, yeah, I should probably fix that shit. Hmm. Anyway, so, yeah, he has, but he has an actual missing stare that that actually almost sprains her ankle the ankle she had previously injured so she'd already injured yeah vulnerable um this does veer into books about writing Mm -hmm. he's a composer and so he talks about his writing process a lot she wishes she were a writer and his father is a writer and her favorite writer Mm -hmm. and so there's tons of conversations Less about the writing process and more about the process of choosing writing or creativity as a career. Yeah, yeah, I think that's really what it is. They're in, I, I hate this term. I hate saying people are content creators or they're creators or they're creatives. Actually, I hate the word creative used as a noun. Um, because it's not a noun. Because it's not a noun. But they are, the people in this book, many of the characters are creators. They're people who are artists or creative people um and they're trying to figure out how how to make that work in the Mm -hmm. world I thought that was interesting because that's not something that you read a lot of in my opinion you we we read a lot about the writing process but I don't think we read a lot about how to make a career work in a creative field well and I also thought it was interesting because I think a lot of times creativity is held up and lauded as like this pure pursuit Mm -hmm. and that people who aren't pursuing their creativity is quote unquote sold out sold out yeah and I do think that Lena's choice between chemistry as this like practical career field and writing wasn't presented as like legitimate versus illegitimate yeah that's true and I do think that's novel in a way. Yeah, uh, there were there were aspects that I thought were interesting and new and came at it from a different a different perspective that I hadn't read before. So I thought that was it was good. Yeah, you know. And I do think that like it's very clear that Jenny Trin Jen Trin Jen Trin Jen Trin Jen uh-huh. Trin. I'm thinking Jenny Trout. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. So I think it's very clear that Jen Train has had a career outside of creativity because I think one of my like least favorite tropes in literature, movies, any creative field is like the big meeting or the big presentation being the thing that drives career stress. Mm-hmm. 
When in reality, for people who work normal jobs, we know that it's not just like the individual big moments that is stressful. It's any number of smaller moments throughout the day where your boss like sporadically calling you into his office to deal with a particular problem. And like you being wrong isn't the cause of stress. It's Mm -hmm. navigating the interpersonal dynamics and the dealing with whatever regulations put upon you or like a demanding client, I guess, I think a lot of times in in media, because people who work in media don't know what it's like to work in a normal job, Mm -hmm. they portray normal jobs as having these big moments that you can prepare for that are stressful when the reality is that it's a lot more minute stuff. And I do think this book did a good job of capturing like the Monday check-ins with your boss becoming like, a real source of pressure and stress. Yeah. I I mean, I agree. I, I liked that she had, I liked that she was a scientist. I liked that she had a career in science. I thought that was really interesting. I think we see that often actually in historical romances where there's a, a scientist heroine, but you don't get a sense that it's, you don't get a sense that the author knows very much about science. Yeah. You know? No, so, you're right. Which, and, and I mean, there there are some, there are some books that, that do, I'm thinking of one of, uh, actually of several Courtney Milan's um, historicals. I think she does do, she tries to do a lot of research on science and like how it would have been practiced back then and things like that. But I think this did a great job of showing how, how a woman can be a scientist in today's world, which is cool. Yeah, definitely. And last trope, he's a 30-year-old man-child, and I don't think that this is as much of a trope in literature as it is in movies, actually. Mm -hmm. But I do think it's a trope we've all encountered in everyday life. Yeah, definitely. Although we just read On the Way to the Wedding, and I was like, wait a minute, this is Gregory Bridgerton. But I don't think with Gregory Bridgerton, him being a 30-year-old man-child is presented as a problem to be solved. No, it just pissed me off. It pissed you off. But I do think, like, the 30-year-old man-child who needs to grow up and maybe needs the excuse of a good woman to do so is, Mm -hmm. like, very prevalent in modern cinema. That's true. True. All Uh, right. So, overall quality of this book. Overall quality, I thought it was good. Uh, I thought it was well written. I so this was an uh, an independently written. Um, it didn't go through a publishing house. So it was independently published as well. Uh, and I thought, especially for an independent writer, an indie writer, I thought it was really well written. So I know maybe that's just making assumptions about <laughs> the quality of indie writers. But I do feel like they just don't have the resources behind them to do a lot of editing and, and continuity editors and things like that. And I thought that this this book was especially good for an indie book. I was, I plowed through this. I was really interested in the story and really engaged in the characters. And I felt like she did a great job of pulling you into the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And I, I liked, too, that it wasn't a conventional romance. So I, I like conventional romances because I like romance in general. But I also like reading something new now and then. And I, I thought this was new. I thought it brought something new to the genre. So that was nice. Agree. 
So one of the big things that you will find when you read this book is that uh, rock climbing is a huge element. So Lena is, she climbs and her uh, husband died in a rock climbing incident. And then the way she gets to know Asher is because her climbing buddies are moving away and she needs to find a new one. And Asher's like, well, I can do it with you. Basically because he thinks she's hot. Um, and he's like, yeah, I'll do whatever I can to go to go out with this girl. Um, and this is all like prologue, not spoilers. Yeah, this is this is not none, none of this is a spoiler. Uh, I will say that for me, I know nothing about rock climbing, like zero. I know zero about rock climbing. And the heading for each of these chapters. So if you think about different authors, Elizabeth Hoyt has a little excerpt from a fairy tale as the heading for her chapters. Right. If you look at the first three and a half of the Bridgerton novels, it's an excerpt from Lady Whistledown. From other, you know, in other books, it's an excerpt from a journal or whatever. In this but, book, like, I can think to Elizabeth Hoyt, like, if you know the fairy tale she's citing from, it does add something to the text. Yeah. But not knowing it doesn't take away from the text. Yes. And what happens, so what, what Trin does here is she puts the uh, definition of a rock climbing term is the heading for each chapter. And it's a good thing that it's there because then it is used in that chapter later. And me being completely unfamiliar with this, uh, it was very helpful because I was like, oh, that's what it means. On the other hand, I did feel like there were a lot of inside jokes and things that I was missing. So, um, this is Lane. I actually have more than a passing familiarity with rock climbing terms because uh, my roommates for the last two years in DC prior to living on my own were rock climbers. Mm-hmm. And so I got a lot of information about the rock climbing community. And so first and foremost, my impression of the rock climbing community was that it was incredibly queer. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a massive, they talk a lot in this book about New River Gorge, and that's actually where a huge climbing convention happens every year, but it's homo climbtastic. It's explicitly for homosexuals. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I thought it was a little bit weird. Like, I don't know if this is accurate at all. But my knowledge of climbing is so gay and lesbian focused mm-hmm. that not having that mentioned at all felt very strange. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Uh, one of my good friends is into rock climbing as well, she and her husband. But the reason they got into it is because her sister started doing it and her sister is gay. So I didn't I didn't know that. And I'm like, oh, maybe that's why now, you know. And most gyms have like gay climbing leagues from what I can gather. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I definitely felt like, and this, like I said, I, I'm not trying to criticize the writer because this is my lived experience, not necessarily the reality in climbing gyms, but my lived experience is that climbing is really, really gay. Yeah. And so to have that not be present in the text seemed very jarring to me. Sure. Um, that said, I actually thought she, there are some like climbing terms that I've heard that weren't used here Mm -hmm. so she talks about beta right and beta is describing the best way to tackle a climbing problem Mm -hmm. but what I love a lot is that if somebody is giving you beta unsolicited it's called spraying beta 
Mm-hmm. And to me, that is such evocative terminology. And especially my friends, which, as I've mentioned, are largely gay climbers. They've noticed it's particularly used by male climbers to women climbers. Uh-huh. And so they talk all the time about how these, like, fuck-ass dudes will come in spraying beta at women thinking they know better. Yeah. And I, like, I was so sad that, like, spraying didn't come up here. <laughs> and, like, in some degrees that Lena didn't discuss the sexism inherent in climbing in some ways, that it's a lot of men, whether gay or straight or somewhere in between, that still think they know better than women, no matter how strong they are. And I get that Asher wasn't supposed to be like that guy, but I think there's no way Lena wouldn't have experienced it, especially climbing with one of the best known male climbers of her generation in the form Mm -hmm. of her husband. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Like to me, like I said, this is my personal lived experience. Climbing is like inherently political. It's a lot of like women trying to stick it to the system. It's a lot of men in like minor minority and counterculture in the form of the LGBT movement. And so to have it just be like this thing, a woman did it because she loved without acknowledgement of any of that was very, very strange. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that's not something I picked up on at all because I was, I was just trying to, trying to keep up with the lingo. I was like, okay, so what are they doing now? You know? Yeah. Um, but I did think, I did think of my friend who's into it. She's not into romance novels, but I was like, oh, maybe I'd recommend this anyway and see if she likes it. So. Well, and for the record, the author does suggest in the prologue that you've read the first book and neither Meg or I have. No, but I, I have, I did buy it though. So it's waiting for me to read. <laughs> Out of order. I can't do that. I don't emotionally, good for Meg. I know you can't handle it, Lena. Lena. Oh my gosh. I just called you Lena because her name is Lena. That's, I've been struggling. We also have a friend named Lena. Shout out. I don't think she's ever listened to any of the 116 episodes, but Lena Lena Lane is difficult for my brain. Yeah. So, so we talked about this. We're not going to tell you exactly what the twist is, um, but I saw it coming. um, Thought it was a little obvious, to be completely honest. Uh, And then I also found that the drama it caused was a little bit over the top. Like a little bit, it it caused more drama than I thought it should have. Yes. But I've never been in that situation. So I don't know how I would react. So um, in like the spoiler free version, Asher is the ex of a good friend of Lena's. And Lena and Asher are connected in ways they don't understand. And I will say... As someone who abides by the, a dude your friend has hooked up with is off limits. This book seemed to really cross a lot of those lines. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. It didn't, I will say that the twist, I was not offended by it. No, I mean, I wasn't offended by the content of it. I was sort of like, okay, how many millions of people are there in New York City? Sure. Yeah, I mean, it was, yeah. But, but again, it's, and, and then also the way that she got around, because, okay, so I think this is, I'm going to present this in the least spoilery way possible. Basically, um, 
Lena met Asher's father in the past, right? So she met him at a, in the in the prologue, she meets him. And mm-hmm. then when he comes to visit Asher, she kind of ghosts them. It's like she was like really wanted to meet them and then actually she has to prepare for this big thing at her work. So she's like, sorry, I can't hang out. But of course, if she had gone, then the whole thing would have come out in a much less dramatic way. Oh, it was still would have been dramatic, but I think it would have been easier for them all to handle. And so it was a little bit contrived the way it was sidestepped. Especially, that gets spoiler. I'll vent about this at the end. Okay, so did anything about this book offend you? No. Uh, well, no, nothing offended me about this book. I will say that it, Asher expl- like tells his friends and again I don't know how authentic this is I don't know how much like dudes go around talking to other dudes and are like yeah I don't go down on women maybe they do maybe this oh, is something that okay maybe- for the record uh, in college most of my friends were a big group of dudes mm-hmm. and I still have like minor flashbacks to the time they told me that they're grossed out when women don't shave their upper thighs. Like, they knew that women largely shaved below the knee because the hair was worse there, so they'd be silky smooth. But they'd have, like, baby hairs above the knee, and they knew women didn't do it, and it grossed them out to hook up with women who didn't shave their upper thighs. So anyway, dudes absolutely talk about this shit, and they're really weird. 30-year-old dudes do this, you think? No, this was back when we were in college. Right, but I like, know, but now I'm, now I'm trying to split hairs. Because <laughs> I'm like, wait, Asher's 30. I'm just saying is he, is dudes in general yeah. talk about shit okay. that women would find insignificant about our bodies. Yeah. I so mean, I find it not unbelievable that a 30-year-old dude would feel the need to talk about going down on a woman with his yeah. friends because guys suck. Well, anyway, it's this. this but I don't I think want to have sex with them, and that's confusing. Anyway, yeah, yeah. So this is not a spoiler because he just says it to his friend in like one of the early chapters. He's just like, "Yeah, yeah. I don't do oral." <laughs> I was like, "Oh, Asher, that's not cool." Cancel, cool. cancel, Asher. <laughs> right? <laughs> and then, um, basically, he says it to Lena too. And I will say that she had the appropriate reaction, which was, "Okay, bye," and she just left. Like, she literally yeah. left his apartment. Because she was already like, your apartment is gross. And then she's like, all right, let's 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 mess around. And he's like, I don't do that. And she's like, uh, bye. I'm out of here. Yeah. She's basically like, I am not ready to have penetrative sex with you. But I would be happy with an evening where we go down on each other. And he's like, nah. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, nah, I don't do that. And she's like, then I don't do you. Bye. Which, slow clap for our girl, why does she go back to that? Well, she he catches her at a very emotionally vulnerable moment. And, okay, so, this, okay, this goes into sexy here. Should we talk about this? Yeah, because there's really nothing offensive about this book. So yeah, let's just dive right into sexiness. So, I mean, this book is pretty sexy. He catches her, so she leaves him, and then um, she goes out on kind of a bad date with this other guy, who you know is going to be in the next, he's going to be the hero of the next book. We're pretty sure. Him and the the girl who set them up. Obviously. Duh. And again, that's I'm not offended by that at all. I'm, like, totally ready for that. Get, you know, bring that on, please. <laughs> 
Um, but they don't they don't have a good date. She's like, okay, bye. And then he sees them at the date and he like serenades her. And then which is like very cute. And then he catches her and she's like, okay, you're really hot. All right, let's do it in your van. Which that's hot. Yeah. <laughs> Lane's like, no. I'm like, yeah, I would I would do it in the van. <laughs> My version of camping is something without central air. So. Oh, God. He's a musician, Lane. His, and let's be, and look, his van is probably way more organized than his house. It's like probably cleaner than the house, than the apartment. Why is that the metric I should be using? I'm just saying, look, if you were in this guy's apartment, you were willing to you know, mess around in his apartment, his disgusting apartment. The second I walked into someone's home and it smelled, I'd be out. <laughs> just okay. to be there. I'm just saying, put yourself in Lena's shoes. She obviously has a different, she has a different metric, is what I'm saying. Anyway, so they, so they go into the van and then he's like, and I bought you a vibrator. But wait, it's a keychain vibrator. I threw up in my mouth during this I was part. like, I was like, Oh, I was like, that's not clean. Where else has he put his keys since he purchased that? Well, and also I was like, at least put, I mean, like put a condom on it or something. Then they didn't. And it was very gross. And and I have different levels of acceptable acceptableness when thing, when we're talking about like hygiene and stuff like that but we're both on the same page here which means it's real gross yeah so here's the thing if think about this if a man pulled out anything else from his pocket or a key like his door key and was like I'm gonna put this on your clit what would you do because I would say no so <laughs> when he pulls out a vibrator that's been in the same circumstances. I'm still opposed. Yeah. I mean, I what I'm saying is I would need, I need more information about this vibrator. I think it needs like a cover or something at the minimum. Th- that had to have been included in the text. Because I was like, ooh. <laughs> like if he'd been keeping an uber tiny vibrator that was meant to be a keychain in his car, in the packaging and they'd opened it, I would have been fine. Yeah. yeah. I would still have preferred it to have been sanitized between the packaging and the placement on her body, but I would have let it go for the sake of the story. Yeah. It's been on his keychain for weeks, Meg. This well, thing no. is gross. No, two weeks. Two weeks. Two weeks. Weeks. That is disgusting. <laughs> That's so gross. I can't. Anyway, yeah, so that 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 got both of us. That got both of us. Yeah, yeah, that got both of us. But the rest of the book, though, was was pretty hot. Yeah. Um. So I like this book overall Mm -hmm. a lot. Actually, I thought it was very well written. I thought Lena especially had a complex character arc Mm -hmm. and had more going on in her life than him, and it made it really, really, really enjoyable to read. Mm-hmm. So I like I don't want this to come off as overly critical. Neither of these characters were relatable to me mm-hmm. because they were both sort of such figuring it out fuck ups. Mm-hmm. And I think just personally, 
being the age that these characters were supposed to be and trying to deal with friendships and dating with people who are largely unknown to me and fuck ups. Like it's exhausting. Mm-hmm. And so personally, this book was kind of exhausting, but I really liked it. And I, it was exhausting because it was authentic and real and well done. Right. So like, it's right. not a criticism of the book. Like I found Asher negatively sexy because he's everything my friends and I are like goddamn why is this the only guy that's available I mean he's very hot and sexy but other well, other than that though you're saying his apartment smells yeah yeah it's kind Which of a, like, kind of a grody apartment that is real and it was written well <laughs> I just was screaming the whole time in the book like okay so Lena has a PhD in chemistry and this is the best available. Yeah. Yeah. I think about that. She's kind of ambitionless and like lost. So I get why they're like a match. Yeah. So we're, we're, we're towards the end of this review. So we're going to get into spoiler territory here. Yes. Spoilers. Now we well, let's just say we, we recommend the book. Should probably check it out. Um, oh, if it's God. Did you yeah. it off? And honestly, this book I was sort of mediocre on for all the reasons I've said, but like, I would love to read more by this author. Mm -hmm. She is very talented. Yeah. Okay. So let's get into the part that, that we, we both had issues with, but I think different issues. Uh, So Lena is getting her PhD. She's in her final year of her PhD. She's ABD. So she's got to write her dissertation, um, defend it. And then she's, then she's done. And then she's really written most of the dissertation. So yeah. it sounds like she's done all the research. She just has to write it up and defend it. And then that's it. So she's looking at postdocs and, and things like that. And her, her, the big thing for her in this book is she's trying to decide whether she wants to stay with it or not. She, she wants to, she's not feeling the same way she felt about chemistry when she started. And I think part of it is she's understanding what it's like to work in academia, which is, it's really tough. It's a really tough job market. It's a really tough world out mm-hmm. there. I, I actually do understand Lena's ambivalence towards it. What she does choose at the end of the book to, um, she finishes her PhD, but then she decides to walk away from the career. So she decides not to be a chemist any longer. And I have to admit, I was a little bit disappointed by that decision. And it's hard for me to pinpoint exactly why. I don't think it was wrong for her character. I understood why she did it and why she made the choice. On the other hand, and I look, I know this is terrible. I, I didn't want her to be that stereotype of the woman scientist who gives it all up because it's too hard. Basically. Or because of a dude. Right. And I mean, she didn't do it because of a dude, but he sort of inspired her to do it, right? Because she's like, he's following his passion. I should follow mine. Well, not even he. Like, she initially left it because of her first husband. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, that's true. Although then it was explicitly a sabbatical, you know, but still. But yeah, I don't know. I was less bothered by that. Because I think there's two things at work here. There's simultaneously the reputation of women in STEM 
failing to follow through on a career in academia. But there's also the especially Asian American community pushing their kids into STEM careers. Mm-hmm. And Lena was an explicitly Asian American character. Mm-hmm. And so I do think to a degree her choosing to pursue a career outside of the traditional STEM fields that immigrants in that culture feel pushed toward was in its own way like courageous yeah I don't know I just really wish I because part of the reason I read romances is because they're they are a little bit escapist they are a little bit fantasy right you you you, they're not always the world that you live in so wouldn't so both of her God. So her husband this was This is raised. like a criticism of modern romance over historical yes, romance. This is true. This is really true. This is really true. This is a contemporary romance. Maybe I shouldn't be having these issues. This is maybe this is why I read content uh, read historicals and not contemporary. But um uh her but on the other hand, there are all these fantasy elements in there. So like her former husband was rich and he left her all his money. So she's got all this money that he left her, right? So she doesn't have to worry about getting this awesome job. She could do something else in chemistry. I don't know. Also, Asher has a ton of money too. So, like, she there, right? She has all because her. Guess what? Spoiler town from the same source. Asher's dead mom left both Lena's husband and Asher a fuck ton of money. Yeah, same same person. So it's all the same source. She's she's got all this money. But I was like, look, if you don't like academia and you don't like the publisher parish world, uh, and and that's a big thing we talk about too, right? In academia and academic circles, we talk about how there's the faculty member and the faculty wife, right? The faculty member can't survive without the faculty wife supporting. Well, why not make Asher a faculty wife? I would have loved it. Honestly, I would have loved it if she was like, your passion is not making music that you and you can still make music in your spare time but really what you should do is come support me at faculty lunches I don't know I kind of would have liked it like a little bit of a role reversal you know like I recommend this and I like it and like I gave it four out of five stars because I do agree that it was kind of it was difficult to get into their headspace because of all the like area specific lingo Mm-hmm. and Asher was too disgusting for me to handle. Mm-hmm. But outside of that, like, my criticisms of the book are largely, like, these characters seem too real, and I didn't like them. <laughs> but, like, that's in some ways a compliment, right? Like, this author really captured these characters, and the fact that they were overgrown children, and they frustrated me so much, is, like, a product of her talent. Yeah, yeah, no. No, I, I was, I was very... Um, I was very happy to have read the book. So that's great. Yeah, I, I, I was uh, glad. But yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. If you enjoy listening to our podcast, we would love it if you would rate, review, and subscribe.